and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. And now to today's guests, and that's right, it's guests, it's plural, because we have two guests on the podcast today. We have partners. It's Olajuwon Ojanaku and Earl Cooper, who Olajuwon founded Eastside Golf, an apparel company, which we'll get into in a minute here, and he brought on his good friend Earl Cooper to help him run the company. And you're going to learn real quick that these guys are different, but they share values in terms of what their mission is, what their vision is for the company they're building, and how they really want to change what golf looks like and who golf is available and open to. A bit about each of them. So Olajuwon founded Eastside Golf. He grew up in East Atlanta, which is where the name comes from. And he gained a golf scholarship to Morehouse College and won a national championship alongside Earl, his co-founder. And after graduating with a degree in accounting, he worked in commercial finance for many years until he left the corporate world 
uh, to really embark on his desire, his dream to play professional golf. And so he's going to tell this story about how he ended up founding an apparel company along the way and how he's still driven to play professional golf. So I think you're going to love Olajuwon's energy, his passion, his ability to dream big, and his creative spirit all shine through. Earl is more of an operator. He's a PGA professional, which means that he teaches others how to play golf. He's currently ranked as one of the best young teachers in America by Golf Digest. He's worked as the first African-American golf professional at Detroit Golf Club and Wilmington Country Club. And he also graduated from Morehouse College, where, again, he played golf with his partner, Olajuwon. And a bit about Eastside Golf, they are blowing up right now. They have partnerships with professional sports leagues. They have a partnership with the Jordan brand. They are everywhere, and they are growing rapidly. Uh, You can easily check them out on Instagram. Uh, They have a great following there. And I think they're really onto something, and I'm not alone on that. They have done a tremendous job in revolutionizing how people think about apparel in general and certainly in the golf world. But this conversation is as much about building as it is about partnership. And so I wanted to have both of them on here to talk about their partnership, how they work, how they work together, especially because Earl came on recently. And this company is is new. They, they launched in 2019, really from an organic place. It was Olajuwon's desire to try to earn his own money because he was struggling to get sponsorship to be able to pursue his professional dreams. So this conversation about dreams, it's about operations, it's about change and disruption. It's really a beautiful conversation. So here is Olajuwon and Earl of Eastside Golf. Lajuan Earl, thanks for being here. Excited to chat with you. I think what you all are creating and what you've already created is inspiring and, and just really cool. So uh, where I thought I'd start is with Olajuwon. Uh, and Olajuwon, you started coming up with these designs and these concepts. It sounds like it was pretty organic. And I'm curious as to why and when you decided, hey, maybe this is something that can be real and and why get a partner? Why Why get someone like Earl to come along the ride with you. Yeah. Uh, so Elijah went to John Yeah. I, I uh, founded the company. I was in uh, Detroit, Michigan. I was working in commercial finance for about nine years and uh, I wanted to turn back pro in golf. You know, after college, I turned pro. I did that for a couple of years, won a couple of mini tour events, but it got to a point I just couldn't afford it anymore. You know, I was thinking about jobs and, you know, just trying to make my way to pay, uh pay entry fees i mean i was just trying just trying and one day so i got into commercial finance and you know started playing a lot when i was in commercial finance with clients and and i just saw like my game like really improved you know and i and i felt like i could like take the chance to turn pro and and really give it a run but i already knew the hard part would be to find sponsors you know, like uh, so many broken promises when I was younger, but just moving forward, not, you know, you know, even pitching, you know, who I am and what I do now as far as well, then as far as finance and saying, hey, these are the reasons that you sponsor me. I'm serious. Um, this is what I need. And unfortunately, I couldn't find enough people to help me, you know, and so, I mean, I was just like, you know what? Bump it. I'll just make a logo. So the logo was just going to go on my bag and my polo, 
you know, and one thing led to another. I showed the logo to Earl. He was just like, yo, you should put that on a T-shirt. So put it on a T-shirt. And I've always been into fashion and design. And I also design shoes. I've been doing that since I was eight or nine years old. But it's always just been a hobby. Always just been a hobby. And and now, you know, uh, being able to, well, where do I, where do I go from there? Um <laughs> It was just well, a hobby. Hey, Elajuan, Elajuan, go back, go back a step for us. I think if people aren't familiar with golf, it's an interesting process that people go through to try to become pro. And it's different from other sports where there's a draft and sometimes you're based on potential. Uh, there are all these tournaments that you need money to to enter, and then you need to win certain certain events and certain tournaments and there's all these different factors that lead to playing pro. But when I've worked with golfers, the the fascinating thing about golf that's different from let's say the NBA is that most people sort of get a sense pretty quickly or get feedback quickly as far as what they can accomplish to play in the NBA, the NFL, maybe their size or their length isn't up to snuff. Um, But in golf, like you can have a round as good as a pro golfer, you know, any given Sunday. So there are a lot of people who have the ability or capacity to play pro golf and know that they do, but the challenge is figuring out, all right, how consistently can I do this? And it's frustrating because I'm sure for you, you shoot in the 60s sometimes and you know, you have the skill. Um, and so now you're looking for the opportunity. Can you just talk about what it's like to be in that journey? Because I've worked with golfers who have to decide after a year or five years or 10 years or 20 years to give it up and go in a different direction for you. It wasn't giving up. You were focused on using the logo and and then still focused on even in the early days of playing pro golf. Correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a tough road, you know, and when it comes to professional golf, I mean, first you have to get sponsors. I mean, the sponsors have to like you, of course, but, you know, it's more of a political thing, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, and then on top of that, it's it's tough because, um, I mean, just trying literally just trying to raise the money. I mean, because you need anywhere from one hundred and twenty to two hundred thousand dollars to play professional golf in a year, you know, and if you can't come up with that money, now you have to uh, take time away from practice to go raise that money or go try to figure out how to work for it and i mean it's it's tough but you know and i knew these things when i was starting out so i mean my whole thing was i created the brand because in hindsight i mean it was to take the entrepreneur route to sponsor myself you know like usually you'll see you know usually you see players you know they're playing in a league uh or golfers yeah players any type of player any type of athlete they're playing in a league then after they retire, they become an owner of a company where in my case, I decided to take the ownership route and basically try to raise or make enough money to sponsor myself for my company, sponsor myself financially, and then take the player route afterwards. You know, so having an entire company behind me and actually sponsor myself and taking advantage of all the partnerships that my company has built and using that in my professional golf career. You know, so it's kind of like a flip flop, but and I've never seen it done before. But hopefully, you know, going this route and saying that a lot of people can just take the entrepreneur route and take and and take hold of the reins of their of their own journey 
I mean, that's kind of like the message that I want to get through to a lot of people. And I'd like to bring Earl in because Earl, as far as doing research for our conversation today, it sounded like you had some entrepreneurial chops where there was writing children's books and sort of working for yourself. Uh, when you turn to Elijah and say, hey, man, you should put that on a T-shirt. Is that just you sort of being an idea type person? Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about when he brings this logo and starts thinking about this? What's going on through your head as as he starts to explore sort of sponsoring himself? Yeah, no, I think um, it was just a comment. I, I didn't think anything more around it. Like there was no way I thought it was a brand leading to where we are today. Um, just just an idea, you know, thought it was a good idea. Like, you know, just a comment, really. Um, and at that time, you know, uh, as you alluded to, I was busy doing, you know, some other things working in the mayor's office. I co-founded a program called HBCU Week um, at that time. And it was doing really, really well. And as you alluded to, to other children's books and had achieved the level of success in the golf world as well. Um, 2016 being named, you know, Golf Digest, one of the best young teachers in America. So for me, it was just supporting a friend. I mean, that's what we did. Like he supported me, I supported him. You know, um, I would go to Detroit and spend time with him in Detroit. Um, and he would come to Delaware, spend time with me in Delaware during, you know, our big events that we would have, whether it was the gala. Um, and then too, it would be a thing where it's kind of funny now, but he would come get his hands dirty, you know, like I would put him all to work. So it wouldn't just be, you know, just a friend kind of coming to town and having a good time. And obviously we had a great time, but it was, you know, as I sit back and reflect on those moments, it was definitely special. It was just, like I said, just supporting a friend um, and was super busy kind of doing so many other things at, at, at that moment in time, but never did I um, know that that comment would lead or would help nudge, uh, I guess, him and, 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 and him just taking off in this direction that he did. Earl, I know you two met at Morehouse and uh, I remember when I was in college, like I'd come up with these ideas and, bring people together and we'd start talking about, you know, dreams. I had like a college student housing idea. I had a magazine idea. Like they're actually not that bad as I look back at them, but for you two, like, would you ever talk about ideas and, and dreams, especially in, in a sport like golf, where um, I think a big part of your mission is to grow the game beyond the people that are already playing it. And um, especially people that may look like you and, to sort of change some of the culture of golf. Um, were there ever discussions when you all were in college about, man, like we might be able to disrupt some of what's going on in golf. And I say disrupt in the, in the friendliest of ways, I think it's, it's needed. And um, I think most people would agree. Were there ever conversations of ideas or dreams or visions, or were you two just focused on being great golfers and then we're all be a great golf teacher? Like what was, what was your vision when you were in college? Yeah, there was. I mean, we had a really good relationship, you know. Um, there's a moment, um, and Elijah can remember this, you know, vividly. Uh, it was our junior year, and I think we had just uh, – we were headed to conference, so, like, the regular season was ending. And, you know, this is early YouTube, and, you know, again, Elijah's always been kind of ahead of his time. And 
I don't even know where he got a camera from. Cause again, this is still, this is like 2010. Like, so it's not a big thing to be recording and you don't have the best footage. And I can remember we played like three holes and he's like, man, you see this hand here, man, it's going to have a ring on it by the end of the year. And, you know, we were just chopping it up, but it was just like, even when I look back in those moments, you know, I've always kind of been like conservative and quote unquote, like a realist. And he's been, you know, kind of, pushing it and you know but again it was one of the things where I don't even know how to describe it but it's like our I would say our relationship is like he says things and I'm like man that sounds crazy and then next thing you know it happens but it's like it's it's a weird thing I guess for it's a unique position for me because even if it sounds crazy, it's not a thing of like, how do I say this? Like, I want to say it sounds crazy in a way of like challenging, not tearing them down. You know what I'm saying? Where it's kind of like he gets that fiery in him and like, nah, this is what I want to do. And, you know, kind of once I see what's going on, because he'll tell you, like, I'm the type of person where I don't really step into something until I kind of know what's going on. Mm. Or I won't say anything in the room until I kind of, read the room and then I'll kind of figure out my spots where he's just like, yo, I'm here, you know? So, um, nah, I mean, but we've seen that with the business and I think it's probably one of the hardest things in the growth of the business that has been so non-traditional that when you get folks with experience and when you get folks with, um, kind of, uh, yeah, when you get folks with experience from young and old, they kind of see one way tunnel vision and, um, We've seen that that hasn't worked for us very well. Uh, but when you do get folks that are open-minded and that are, uh, to your point, uh, okay with being disruptive and okay going against the grain and okay with doing things a different way. And, you know, I'll, again, pushes pushes us all um, within the company um, and partnerships as well uh, to, to, to kind of, you know, um, further that 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 mantra that that ethos that vision of his Olajuwon I am someone who's a dreamer I come up with ideas all the time and I find that sometimes people can receive those ideas most of the time they tell me all the reasons why it won't work and so when you started um with this logo and then you know start talking to Earl about hey maybe this turns into something more what were, what were the responses that you were getting from people as you started to dream and, and started to think about what this could turn into? It's crazy because I only remember getting two. Yes, that's going to work. I mean, well, not yes, that's going to work, but more. Uh, yes, I'm with you. Like, let's like push for it. I'm here if you need me. Like, and that was Dean Brody and that was Earl Cooper. Those are the two people that. Yo, like, I mean, I don't see what you see, but hey, go ahead with it. I'm call me if you need me, you know. And <clears throat> I mean, when when I some of the things that I heard, I mean, I could start with just the logo, you know. Well, yo, is that what what is that around his neck? Is that a noose? Mm -hmm. You know, like literally been asked that. Yo, uh, that'll never. I've never seen a black man logo. Like that will never work. I mean, they had Tiger for so many years. Why didn't Why didn't Nike do it? That'll never work. 
And it's like, hey, Elijah, I mean, can you stay there for me? Why didn't I'm, I'm thinking in my head? I'm like, all right, Jordan brand, right? Right away. First thing I think of is that logo and the success of that logo and what came with that logo. And we've had David Falk on the podcast to talk about, you know, Jordan brand. And I talked to David quite a bit. Um, we have, why wouldn't like that? I'm it's crazy. I've never thought about like, why is the TW just a TW? Can you, any thoughts there? No, oh, I can, I can dive in a little bit deeper. Um, to be honest, if you're going to make a logo <clears throat> that is of a black man, I mean, you have to basically explain market design, everything that comes with that. And, and you have to have balls, you know, I mean, all the things that come with being a black man, as far as, uh, I mean, <laughs> goodness, when it comes to golf, let's just talk about golf. All the things when it comes to a black man, when it comes to golf, I mean, we could talk about the PGA, PGA of America, 1961. That's when they dropped the Caucasian only clause. You know, I mean, we could talk about Lee Elder, you know, how finally he's on the master's tee. And this is, he has a, what is it? A gas mat? Like a, he has a, a tank to breathe on the first tee. And this is the representation that it seems golf wants black men to see in golf like they're i mean it's almost like broken down it's almost like i don't even know i mean I, I can't really put words in their mouth but i'll say this when it comes to this logo um well i'll, I'll answer your question first um it's very it's very hard as a company if you're moving one way with golf to now you have a black player and to make a logo instead of in my opinion to make a logo with just the TW with his initials. I mean, that's cool. But if you make a logo that shows representation, so now you have little kids when they see that logo, like, dang, that's cool. I can be that. I can become a logo, you know? Um, but then also talk about all the things that comes with it. As far as when Tiger was growing up, it's not said a lot that he wasn't allowed on some country clubs in 1999, you know, like it's not talked about, where some of these country clubs still till today don't let women in. You know, it's not talked about where some country clubs have no black members still to this day. You know, I mean, all of those things come up when you have a logo like that. And then you have somebody as powerful as Tiger. And then for him to have that logo, it starts the conversation. It's a, it's a dangerous thing, honestly. I mean, it starts the conversation at these country clubs and it actually... Imagine Tiger Woods being the number one golfer in the world. And now at the country clubs that I just mentioned, like they have a black logo in their, in their pro shop. That is a, and then, but then you don't accept, you know, black members or you don't accept women. And it's like, that's a slippery slope, you know? And so with us, with our logo, with, I mean, with the logo that was made, I mean, I talk about everything that comes with it. I mean, if, Literally, I just said it the other day, and it was perfect that I said that, but what would our logo be like? If it was an actual person, like, what what would our logo talk about? You know, they're going to talk about basketball, football, baseball, all sports, finance. They're going to talk about family. They're going to talk about uprising uh, the youth, all youth. Like, let's make them 
more aware of just what's going on. Let's make them feel comfortable out here on the golf course. But I mean, I don't care if they have on jeans, sweatshirt, and a Cuban chain. Let's let's have for them to come out here and and truly be themselves to a point that golf has never even seen before. Like open the door for some more people, open the door for the youth, open the door for people that look just like the logo. And honestly, that's a it's a it's a tough thing to do. But, you know, with us being the uh, first ones to do it, I mean, now we get to tell those authentic stories. You know, now we get to tell those those stories. Honestly, we get to tell those stories that no other golf companies can tell. So we we can keep going. What, what does authenticity mean to both of you? Maybe Earl first, because I'll just read um, your mission, which is lifestyle golf brand developed to raise awareness about golf among youth and non-golfers, inspire culture, promote diversity, and continue to be authentic. That word authentic sort of speaks to me in a, in a, in a profound way. Earl, when you, when you think of that word authentic, what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I think about truly being your true self in all spaces. Um, and I know for me, it's something that I struggle with um, when it comes to being in the golf space, just because it was so rigid. And again, I was successful at it. And so when you're successful at something, you can easily kind of lose who you are um, because it becomes so natural and people are beginning to praise you um, for your performance. But again, like I said, I was dealing with the, I guess, uh, a tough dichotomy where I here I am, one of the best young teachers in America, at one of the top club, country clubs in the country. Um, but it's a private club and I can't teach my friends how to play golf. Right. And so it's like and if I did teach them, they didn't, you know, necessarily get a chance to get access to the equipment that I had, whether it be a track man or whether it be new range balls or fresh grass or all the fitting equipment that we had at the club. And so like, it wasn't kind of this full experience. And so I think for me, there's always been this love of the game, but wanting to share it with people. And that's why I love to teach because it's like, you get an opportunity to share the game with people. Um, but, you know, for me, Dealing with that, I couldn't be my true authentic self because then, you know, within my true authentic self, it may have clashed with some of the rules where some days I may have not wanted to tuck my shirt in or some days I may want to listen to my music loud. Like I, I can remember like literally having, you know, earbuds or headphones on on the driving range and then like my pro coming in me like, and it could have even been on an off day like, yo, Earl, you can't be listening to music. You just never know. Like, a member may need you to do X, Y, and Z. And it's just kind of like, well, I kind of thought it was like my time. You know, I thought I was off. I'm still trying to keep my game together. And so these are just moments where I say all that to say in the world of golf, in my experience particularly, they have all these rules and boxes that you have to check where it kind of stifles creativity. So at the end, everyone looks the same. So that's why I always use the term where it's like, you know, you're just producing carbon copies, right? If you go to the same school, this type of income, you got these type of colors, this type of shoes, like you're basically, it's like a factory. And at the end of it, you know, you're going to get what you've gotten over the last, you know, X amount of years, you know, 55 middle-aged white man that, you know, doesn't necessarily listen and looking to infuse culture. It's just kind of very, you know, bland. And so 
with this logo and what, you know, what O has built, it gave me the power and confidence as well um, to kind of take the skill set that I um, uh, have built and kind of, to me, it's like I'm, I'm here to, to unlock and give tools and, and give the keys away because it's like I've been there. I've experienced it. There isn't too many top clubs across the country, you know, private that I haven't played. Um, but having been there, like I always say, I mean, it still remains the same. At the end of the day, it's still just grass. And if we think about, all right, the vision, which you guys also put on your website, make make golf more attractive to the younger generation and essentially apply the morals and values of golf to better themselves. Olajuwon, you want to jump in on that? Like, how do you still allow people to be authentic while still taking the best pieces of golf, which you two are obviously drawn to the game and obviously have gotten value from the game? What's the vision here? What do you see it? 20 years from now, 30 years from now, how do you see the game evolving and and the role that you all play in, in evolving the game? Well, <clears throat> well, the things that, uh, the things that I, that I see how, how it will work and the things that you could take away from golf is, is usually just the morals and values. You know, it's, I mean, I didn't grow up with, you know, both parents in my household, but it's crazy that a lot of the morals and values that, I guess you get uh, from the golf course, they help you in life, you know, and it, it, it that doesn't matter how you are. I don't have to speak correct English everywhere I go, or I don't have to, you know, walk with a little swag. It doesn't really matter, you know, but these things that you learn on a golf course while you're playing golf, you know, like, let, I, I mean, I'll give you just one example. Let's say um, while you're on a golf course, you have all different types of lies all different types while you're out there. I mean, every day it's going to be a different type. Just like in life, there's always going to be this new problem that you got. I mean, this new way, like, it's like, damn, like I can't catch a break, you know? And I mean, it's like that for everybody. But then it's just like, well, even in golf, there's an, there's a solution for everything. It's just all about how you go about planning, how you go about getting uh, getting prepared, for that actual problem? Like, what are the things that you're doing to just be prepared for life? What are the things that you're doing to be prepared for that shot? You know, like, they go hand in hand, you know? And um, us us explaining that to the younger generation, to people that don't know anything about golf, I mean, golf is something that will, with me, golf is something that I take very personal and that raised me. You know, I mean, it just wasn't it wasn't just one person that, that had an influence on me on the golf course. It was so many people because I met so many people on the golf course, like judges, dentists, doctors. But then the guy that plays basketball up the street, you know, that has a couple kids that just wants to drop some dad wisdom on me. You know, these are all the different types of perspectives and people that you meet out on the golf course, you know. Um, but then even moving forward with the company being seen in 10 to 20 years. I mean, us having an Eastside golf club, you know, maybe like a Soho house vibe or an actual golf course, uh, something of that nature to where this is a space where you can be yourself when you come here, you can, but then learn golf. You can learn all the things that it comes with, with all respect to the game as well. Like still tucking in your shirt, you know, still uh, just pushing the boundaries of what the, of what the uh, attire is, 
you know. Um, but then also I created a uh, it, it's crazy. I created the logo. But then the second piece that I created was a canvas and the canvas. And it's it's on our website and it's literally our logo coming to life. You know, I mean, it's a there's a guy swing, a black man swinging a golf club. And as he swings, the chain is going one way. But then he's surrounded by an entire crowd. But then there's also a camera there watching him play golf. And in honestly, 10 to 20 years, that's what I want the PGA Tour to look like. You know, I want I want uh, so many people to be inspired by this person that just wants to come out here, be themselves. But then, I mean, play great golf. Just because you don't look like everybody, walk like everybody, talk like everybody doesn't mean you can't be a great golfer. You know, I mean, the you know swag that our logo. You know what's ahead. amazing, Olajuwon? I'm thinking about, I belong to a club and we always have like Peter Millar or Grayson or these companies that'll, you know, we'll get for a member guest or a member member where we get stuff from them. The amount of Peter Millar's hooded sweatshirts that I own that are cool to wear on the golf course are immense. And it's just kind of funny. Uh, or I, all my friends wear Jordan sneakers. Like they're mm -hmm. all wearing Jordan sneakers on the golf course. And so like the game does evolve, whether people want it to or not, like it's go the fashion's going to change. You know, the collars have started to change. And now my wife, you know, they wear, they wear like leggings, are leggings allowed for women? And it's like, they have all these conversations, these discussions. And, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a desire to keep something the way it is. And, and like you, I think it, it's interesting to think about like, what are the pieces of the game that we do want to keep? What are the traditions that, you do want to separate that makes golf different from lacrosse. Um, and then where do we just give people space to be themselves? The last thing I'll say is I just finished watching hard knocks for the Detroit lions. It's pretty mm -hmm. fascinating because Dan Campbell is like this former football player, big, strong meathead looking guy. Um, <laughs> and I was watching the exit interviews where he's cutting all these guys. And as he's cutting them, they're literally hugging him. And they're saying thanks for allowing people to be themselves but over and over again in the, in the mm -hmm. locker room. And I think of a sport like the NFL where they don't often allow people to be themselves. They're very strict on what they can wear, what they can do, how they can do it compared to the NBA, which gives guys a little bit more autonomy. So I love looking around sports. You know, I just had the CEO of USA lacrosse on the podcast and we talked a lot about growing the game. And he's like, the only way we grow this game is by bringing people that don't look like him and by bringing in people and going to different parts of our country that don't have access to lacrosse. And I think about the NHL and hockey and how limited uh, it is for ice time and equipment and how expensive it is. Um, and so you have this in, in tennis, right? Like golf's right-hand woman, man sport, Francis Tiafo coming up now. And like, what's he going to do? And what's it going to look like? And obviously Serena and Venus and the impact they've had on mm -hmm. style for tennis as well. So it's, it's just fascinating. The, the world that you're playing in, in a sport that I think is evolving, whether they want to or not, even we don't even need to get in a live tour and PGA and all this stuff. It's going to evolve because it's a great game and mm -hmm. uh, people are interested in it. And, and for both of you, as you think about your role in this, um, what does it look like for the two of you? Is it um, sponsoring pro golfers going forward? Is it bringing up youth and, you know, maybe investing in the next Olajuwon who doesn't have sponsorship money 
um, and going alongside him. I remember when Under Armour was starting to get into basketball and having conversations with them about who they're going to bet on. And they actually bet on Brandon Jennings. He was the first guy that they bet on in basketball. And now Steph Curry is obviously helping them and Kyrie Irving and all these other players. As you think about where this goes and you all have, I mean, this is only three years old, right? You started in 2019. Like mm -hmm. this is still early for you, but you've already made so much ground. I asked a bunch of my white friends if they've heard of your um, brand and about half of them had, which is remarkable. Uh, like what's, what's next for you all from a tangible standpoint, Elijah or Earl, either one of you can, can sort of jump in there. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, just to hit on, you know, signing players, we actually signed our first athlete, Wyatt Worthington, the, Worthington, the second, and uh, he's played in about three PGA events, you know, wearing East side, you know, I mean, that was the entire goal. I mean, that was one of the goals that we had set out you know, that I had set out when I created this company. I didn't want anybody to feel the way that I did, to feel helpless, to feel like there's nobody to have your back. You know, like I'm here to have your back. Eastside Golf and Earl, we're, we're all here to have your back. Um, and that's why we're going to continue to sign even more golfers, even more golfers that don't have the opportunity um, and that want to be fly and that want to speak their truth. Sometimes these golfers don't get to speak their – we're not even talking about opinion. We're just talking about truth. You know, some of these golfers don't get to do that because of the political stance that their clothing company might might have, you know. And with us, as long as you're, you know, being respectable but telling what is actually happening, what's going on out here, that's the only way things can change, you know. And, I mean, it's it's crazy because let's say we, we sign four professional golfers – but then myself, I get to compete against these guys all at the same time. I mean, I plan on uh, turning back pro next year with a full schedule. You know, got to hire some more people, got to get the uh, the company, you know, moving it, it automated, you know, basically getting the company automated and getting everything in line to where now I can get back out on the golf course and compete with the same guys that I sponsor. Hey, you know, why, 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 why continue? I mean, you're now in your 30s. This thing is is starting to take off. Why do you feel the need to to go back and and keep playing? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm hungry. Like I have a point to prove. You know, like I I mean, as Earl has always said, I've always had a not always, but I mean, as I've gotten older and just the opportunities and just me being in corporate for so long, and I mean, I just felt like I I mean, I had the opportunity plenty of times, but. Just nobody was there to help, you know? So it's it's at a point now I still feel like I can do it. I still can hit the ball 360, 370 if I need to. You know, I can still get through it and and I feel like I can play this game at a at a at a at a maximum level just like the PGA guys. But then on top of that, imagine the story, what it would be for somebody creating a company to sponsor themselves. They create the company, come back and go out for the PGA Tour, make it, and win. And what that says to so many people, like so many youth, like that you can literally do. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete where, where you're an athlete first and then you have to step away from it to support yourself just to come back to it. That means it's possible. I mean, just by you saying what you just said, I mean, it's, it's never been done before. You know, I've never seen it. Or if there's anybody... You know, please correct me. But in this way, 
now we're literally explaining to the world there's always a solution for anything that you want to achieve with your personal goals or changing anything in the world that needs improvement, which is golf. It's so interesting. When I asked both Troy Jones, who's got a remarkable story and is doing amazing things with virtual reality, uh, if people don't know about what Troy's up to, is Status Pro, check them out. Uh, and Jordan Steffi, who we've actually had on the podcast in the past, I asked them about you both, and they both said they love to learn. There's an amazing humility that they both have um, and a desire to grow and, and learn and get better. Earl, as you've sort of taken on the role that you've taken on, I'm curious, what have you learned the last three years? What's it been like um, being in the shoes that that you're in? And, and I'm and I'm sorry, Earl, can you just add on there the importance of no ego as well? <laughs> you're on mute. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I've, I've learned a ton. Um, I mean, I, I think I don't even know where to begin because I've, I'm not, I mean, you're learning every day, right? And so in learning every day, you also know you got to get, you know, better. Um, you also know that you just, I think still there's still like fundamental there's still fundamentals. I don't care how much success you achieve or where you go. It still kind of goes like to the core fundamentals. And I think it's about doing the little things right. Um, that's going to kind of make the difference because it's still going to be how you're treating people. You know, that's still so very, very important, you know, uh, especially as you build a team and build a culture. Right. Like it's never going to be about really like us anymore. You know, it's it's about how well can we bring people in um, and buy into the vision and want to, you know, work, the, work their asses off. You know, that, that's what make great companies great. You know, it's not the fact that Steve Jobs was in there every day doing what he was doing. It was the fact that he had thousands of people, <laughs> you know, building towards a common goal and the list goes on of folks that have built, you know, um, un unbelievable companies. Um, you know, and I think when you think about the dynamic between me and Elijah Juan and, you know, in the partnership, I think for sure, one of the things that we've been able to do is to, you know, just maintain communication. Like, and I'm in and, and building other things. That's probably the biggest thing that I've learned is like, you have to communicate because things are going to change every day. Your lives are changing. You're making more money than you thought you would make. It's coming in fast. Opportunities come in. And, you know, kind of to where Elijah wanted that earlier, you know, just watching your ego because it's easy to to allow it to to get out of control. And, you know, we've done an excellent job to date um, and no ego. And I think that's also allows us to kind of um, – continue to work at the pace that we're working at, you know, and not necessarily just sitting back and counting the trophies or smelling the roses or things of that nature. And I know people are like, yeah, you know, you got to kind of take a moment and soak it all in, but there is so much to be done. And I think soaking it all in, there'll be plenty of time to do that if we do what we need to do kind of, um, you know, on, on the front end. But when it comes to learning, it's just about continuing to learn. Every day you're a learner you know, reading new books, you know, understanding people because the new landscape of hiring people is just different, right? 
People want to work from home. People want to have a say. People, it's so different. This isn't, you know, and then building this company different. You got to take all of those different factors and kind of bring that together. And it's all got to work. Um, and lastly, what I will say, and this truly be my last point, is that one thing I have learned in the apparel business is that you need to have it all. And what I mean by saying you need to have it all, it, there isn't just one component that can be extremely good. And then the rest you can get away with. It's like, no, in order to like, it's almost like a good team in order. You have an amazing quarterback, but if he doesn't have a good offensive line, if he doesn't have anyone to throw it to, if he doesn't have a coach to keep, you don't have the best trainers, you don't have the best facility, like all these things go into creating um, what people look at as success. It's never just going to be, you know, one person or one role. It is truly um, a unit. Earl, how do how do you all think about success? Is it um, exiting? Is it you know building this up and and making this a highly profitable business? Um, I I could see you know you know you build this up and you become highly attractive to those big golf uh, you know brands that that are sort of holding back some of the things you all are trying to create. Um, mm-hmm. so how do you make sense of that? I, look, you have something that's so organic and authentic and genuine. And to Lajwan's point, he wants to be repping that stuff when he's, you know, winning the masters one day. And, mm-hmm. and so, but there's also great financial possibility here. And, you know, do, like, how do you think about, am I selling out? Am I exiting? Am I, I mean, these are all things I'm sure you all are thinking about quite a bit. Yeah. Certainly. I mean, we think about them every day. Like I said, it's it's communication because things change, right? Like I could say right now, that isn't their goal. Five years from now, he's winning on the tour. He's got a family. I got a family. Priorities change things, you know. So again, that's where I would go back to communication. But right now at this moment, and I think again, the North Star, like what we will be graded on is not, you know, how much the company sales for how profitable the company is we have an opportunity to change the game you know we want to be measured on the impact that we had you know go back to 2019 and then look you know when we look up in 20 i don't know 2030 2036 you know when people mention east side golf what does that look like you know is it is it a thing where people are like you know and we see it now right we get dms we get text messages you know, I'm playing golf because of, you know, the brand. I'm, I'm playing golf because of your story. Um, I'm playing golf because, you know, whatever. And so, the, the, you know, we kind of help the nudge. And I think for us, it really is just going to be measured on the impact. And I think long term, we just look at how do we continue to remove barriers so that more people can feel like, you know, this game is for them. And, you know, I was, you know, we were doing a clinic on Monday and they took a bunch of photos and I was flipping through those photos and kind of like really just dawned on me. And I'm like, the issue isn't golf, right? The sport to me fundamentally doesn't have like in the problem. It is the gatekeepers. It is the way the game is being taught, right? Like we took kids from the Bronx that, uh, with CC's foundation and like they love this game they're make you know we're inside they're putting it into a cup going crazy and they want to hit the driving range and it's like 
golf is here for them. Like the sport itself, like not necessarily what we think golf is, which is fundamentally swinging a stick and a ball is great. But it's the other things that kind of like the way that it's being taught, the way that it's kind of being restricted, the way, you know, the the lack of representation, all those other things to me, yes, that is fall within the, 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 the full scope of golf. But when you just like extract just the sport itself, and to me, that's what other sports have where it's like basketball is just a ball and a hoop and it makes it special because anyone can do it and you can kind of feel that motion. But somehow, some way, golf's got to figure out a way where it can just kind of get back to its pure essence of the sport and not necessarily what I define as pure essence. Because someone, I may say pure essence is, you know, perfect greens or private clubs or this, that, and the third. And no, 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 that, that's all things that have been constructed around this sport. You know, but when you just think of the sport itself, the more and more I look at it, if it's taught the right way and presented in the right way and in a friendly, inviting way, man, to see those kids light up and these kids have never been to the golf course ever. And they were having an unbelievable time. Yeah. Restricted, exclusive. These are words that are usually associated with golf, Um, but they're also usually associated with merchandise. And never thought about that until you started talking about it. And Olajuwon, you can hop in on this too if you want. I'm thinking about just the future of what you all are creating. And right now, there is a restricted amount of merchandise that that is out there. And then so that restrictedness makes it exclusive, makes it cool, makes it unique. Um, and that drives like the Jordan brand, right? Like the Jordan shoes. All right, we're going to restrict them out. And then they're, you know, there's a limited amount, limited edition. Maybe that's a better way to even say it. And, and so I think for a lot of merchandise that limited restricted exclusive helps the brand. I can imagine if you sell like, like I think of Bonobos as a, as a brand, like they had limited amount and they sell to Walmart or whoever they sold to. And now it's everywhere and you can go get Bonobos anywhere. Um, But for you all, like if there's an opportunity to sell it to Nike and to get more and more people that look like me, that look like you wearing that logo, like that might be success right now. We're, we're changing the game, but it's, it's a different vehicle and their ability to produce might be far greater than what the two of you and your team can do. So I just think it's an interesting dynamic with where you all are, because on one hand it's like, all right, we know that, uh, things are restricted in our sport. Um, and unfortunately there's a terrible history of that as you all referenced, but it's like, how do we actually make that impact? How do we actually promote diversity, inspire culture, move the game? It might be with a bigger brand that comes in and says, we're going to supercharge it. So it, it's, it's kind of a, fascinating yeah, I think dynamic. so, but I think also we don't we're like we're doing it, right? Like I think we're doing it with the things that we, that we do on a day to day. Like we understand that again, we're not under the impression where like it's golf is an easy fix and that, you know, tomorrow, you know, that, that even, even if we had quote unquote, you know, lower the prices, it doesn't mean that it's going to, um, to fix the problem or everyone's going to immediately run and love golf. Right. Like I think, yesterday or the the example that I was using with the kids works because of the environment and the element, right? Like typically are those kids going to be able to use 
put inside of Alpine Country Club? No, but CC bought it all out, right? So now the environment is like, all right, it's the money factor is completely gone away, right? And then you have a bunch of celebrities around, right? So the kids are there, they're the stars, and we're like, hey, let's put a cup down, let's give them some putting instruction. And, you know, everyone is leaning in, even the staff is leaning in, right? So we know that it's not just going to be this flick of a button and then all their problems go away. And now, and again, I'm not saying that these guys are, these girls or guys and girls are going to be professional golfers tomorrow. I'm just saying what we're pushing for is kind of like that, that moment that, that we know that it is something special within this game. And as we continue to build, I think what we do is to remove those barriers and with the business, like use the business as going into spaces that can talk to leaders and have those real conversations and say, Hey, these are the things that need to be implemented. These are the things that work. Like we said the other day, it was like, Hey, you know, if you want to see more Earls and Elijah ones, well, why aren't people giving to HBCU golf? That's where we came from. Right. There's HBCU golf programs all over the country. Right. Why aren't folks looking and hiring and saying, man, like, you know, we're not an anomaly. We just, you know, took advantage of an opportunity. Oh, had a dream and followed it and went hard and it's still going hard. But again, and that's why for us, we put our mouth where our money is. We've already gave 50,000 back to our alma mater and may have not even been financially, you know, feasible or the most responsible thing to do. But it's like, those are the things that we're doing. Well, as he said, sponsoring uh, Wyatt and, we have junior ambassadors. We give clothes away all the time. So, yes, we have a business to run, but we also understand that there's a sense of responsibility um, within that business. And I think, to me, that's how we continue to uh, change the game and, and continue to use our platform, you know, so that other folks, because, again, it's going to take a time. It, it didn't get like this overnight, and it's not going to change overnight. Elijah, you have some thoughts? Uh, hmm. Well, yeah, yeah I, just, I definitely agree with what Earl said. And on top of that, I just see, you know, this uh, this game being changed. You know, it, it, it definitely will take time only because, well, I'll say it will take time, but that also alludes to our success, you know, because this has never been done before. I mean, taking a logo that looks like that and truly trying to change the game in, in, in our way, but then, you know, being honest, being still respecting the game, but then playing at a high level like myself and being one of the best PGA teachers in America like Earl. You know, we have validity to the actual game. We can speak to it. Um, I just feel like, you know, without even without the bigger companies, Eastside Golf will make huge impact across the globe if we just continue to believe in ourselves, stay authentic, and play this game the way we know how. I mean, we know how to play this game, you know, and so many other people do, but, I mean, we've just, we, we take it so personal and so many things that we've learned from it. I mean, I just feel like there's, I mean, there's, there's I mean, we're the perfect tandem to get it done. But then even to add on to that, Definitely, 
I mean, we're not an anomaly. There's so many other kids that I would say think similar to us that go to HBCUs that don't get the opportunity and they're just overlooked. I mean, when we talk about the PGM program, you know, that the PGA has, that's a, you know, let's talk about the PGM 2.0 program that was taken away by the PGA. You know, that's, that's something to get it started, you know, get uh, more, more diversity into the PGA, which would in turn, I mean, just imagine more PGA professionals that are diverse at these country clubs. What more opportunities may open up? I mean, that's what we're going for. I mean, when I, that's where I see success, you know, that's where I see like we us actually making that impact in the game and changing it where a lot of other companies are more worried about the politics and the bottom line. Our focus is elsewhere. And, and, I'll, and I guess I'll just end with this. I feel like, I mean, the way to be financially stable or the way to never have to worry about money again is to find a solution to something that improves everybody's life on this earth. You know, and with us, it was this logo. It was Eastside Golf. And that's where I feel like we'll, I mean, we'll be successful to the end of, to the end, to just the end of time. So. Hey, Lajwan, you mentioned the HBCUs and Earl did as well. And obviously HBCUs are created because universities were restricting African-Americans from universities. I'm Jewish. Uh, Clubs restricted Jews from country clubs, housing areas, you know, in some ways, a similar fashion. So Jews would go and create their own country club Um, universities as well. Do you do you envision the future is, um, you know, African-American clubs and that's where people are coming up? Or do you envision this becomes less of a class sport and there's just more mixing and maybe the country clubs aren't even the place where people are. Like you mentioned a Soho house type idea. Like how do you envision this changes? Cause I could see it saying, Hey, we're going to have our black country clubs and we're going to support our people. Um, or there's another idea, which is like, no, maybe we just need to all be more integrated. Like how, how do you see that? I know it's a really big question that yeah. is complicated and complex, but no. I'm just curious about it. Um, I mean, I do not see it as it being an African-American only country club, you know, that, I mean, then is we're basically doing the same thing that has been done to us. I mean, that's just a recurring cycle, but I do see more, more integrated on the golf course to where more people can literally uh, expand their network. There's so many successful entrepreneurs, black, white, Asian, you know, purple, yellow, gold, they don't even matter. I mean, there's so many successful entrepreneurs and why not everybody come together? Yo, what do you do? Then all of a sudden this guy is talking to this guy and then the world just becomes a whole lot smaller, you know, and so many more people can be successful, you know, and, and even people that don't, you know, see a way of being successful in life, all of a sudden they pick up the game of golf and meet somebody where they have the tenacity, where they have the drive, and somebody sees that. I mean, that was that was done with me. You know, like, that's how I got into finance. Somebody saw how much, I, how hard I worked, how hard I grinded, and they were just like, yo, I want to give you a shot in finance. You know, so if I didn't have golf, I don't know if I would have had that opportunity. But to keep it integrated at a country club, to create something 
to where Eastside Golf Club is more of just the environment. You know, like we're just talking about interests. Like I said, this is how we got an NBA licensing deal, an MLB licensing deal. You know, this is how we got those things. It's not just sticking in in golf. It's more talking about the things that are of interest. It doesn't matter what you look like. Talking, I mean, if you look at our logo, I mean, what type of music do you think he likes? Not being stereotypical, but, you know, hip-hop, R&B, more melodic. You know, those things are missing in golf. But now we're here to bring those things into golf. But then also, if Eastside Golf Club was to become a thing, you know, those are the things that we would pay attention to. Just the vibe of just being out here. No stuffiness. No politics. No just overbearing. Just the the, the board of directors of the golf course just, you know, make it so, ugh. You know, I don't know how, how really to explain that. Well, it's interesting, Olajuwon. We've, I know I talked to Earl about this when we connected last time. I know you two have played the Grove, Michael Jordan's golf course. Uh, I've played down there as well. And it's interesting when you're down there, you can wear whatever you want. Um, like th there's not a whole lot of rules other than don't be an asshole. And exactly. um, now it is restricted because it's, a lot of money to join and there's only 150 members. And, uh, but it is interesting when you're there, there are just different types of successful people. You've got some of the best athletes of all time there. You've got CEOs, you've got sports owners, you've got, uh, entrepreneurs. You, you, you do have like a wide range of quote unquote successful people and the vibe <laughs> and the energy there. It's interesting. A lot of the PGA tour superstars love playing there, working on their game there because it's it is they can wear a t-shirt and, and go play golf and and so i think that speaks to what you all are creating um and i know michael jordan's been a supporter of what you all are doing as well um it's it's just really interesting when you think of inspiration and uh maybe Elijah, i'll start with you and then oral i'll go to you next who inspires you or is there a brand that inspires you when you when you look around and you're like wow that brand or that company or that person where do you where do you tend to get inspiration from um, hmm. it's, a, it's a good one. More, I would say, uh, motivational speakers for me. You know, E.T. Hip Hop Preacher, Inky Johnson, Les Brown, uh, Ray Lewis. Those are just a few of the guys that I listen to on a daily basis. That, um, that, it, and it's crazy because I grew up and my mom knew nothing about golf. But she was the same way. She would just tell me, hey, I need for you to go out there, work hard. Here's 10 bucks. That's going to last you the entire day. But I, but all I can say is work hard and go go for everything you know you deserve. You know, and then you go, and, I mean, you go learn about the game even more. You go ask a bunch of questions. You continue to learn. I mean, those are the things that um, that I see where uh, where it's just helped me improve. But then also those people that help me as far as me just watch, watching their videos every day, I take all of those things and I just relate them to golf. There's always an analogy or there's always a certain way you can think about something, but you just have to take it and make it yours. I mean, and I mean, and also when we talk about athletes inspiring me, Tiger Woods and Michael, Michael Jordan, you know, I've met, I've met both of them. I met Tiger Woods when I was younger. Uh, and then I met Earl Woods, his uh, his father, when I was younger as well. Um, I mean, and they were 
intimidating, but they but they knew their stuff. You know, they were just all about business. And the same thing with MJ. I mean, intimidating, but it's it's more about uh, like my mom said. I mean, if you know how to do this, be confident, go out there and do it and show people you know how to do it. And it's crazy that my mom would tell me something on how to interact with MJ or Tiger Woods, you know? So it's just really just about taking all the things you learn within your life and motivational speakers and really putting those things into motion. But that's what I would say really motivated me or yeah. Earl, how about you? Where do you get inspiration from? Yeah. Um, I would say like, you know, we've had a chance to kind of get to know him personally, but like someone like Steve Stout. Um, Sorry, who, who's, like I don't Steve know who that Stout. is. Yeah. So Steve Stout, he's a former music executive. Um, and then he started a uh, an ad agency called Translations Media, where they basically like translated culture. Um, and then recently just started a new company called uh, United Masters, where it's like independent. But he's just been someone that's just kind of been on the, on the cuffs of culture he uh he authored a new york times bestseller called the tanning of america and where they talk about basically how hip-hop is an engine similar to like a religion that can shift culture and is can also affect you know um economies and so the the analogy they always use is like one you saw like back in the day run dmc they had the famous adidas that they were wearing shell toes and I think some they had a big concert in Madison Square Gardens and a bunch of the executives from Germany flew over and they were like, you know, run DMC going through the show and they're like, yo, put your one Adidas in the air and it's all these Adidas. And they're like, wow, like, you know, you don't really think like, can I, back then it was like, can a hip hop artist sell shoes? But there was that correlation there. And then he had said he did the, he was working at, I think, Interscope at the time and they had did, um, um, uh, the soundtrack for Men in Black. And they had sold maybe, let's say, 8 million copies, super successful of the soundtrack. But then Ray-Bans, which were the glasses um, Will Smith had on in the film, sold like 14 million copies or 14 million pairs, excuse me. And so it's just like being on that cuffs and just understanding that. And he's just been someone like truly that has been able to kind of translate culture. Like he did a commercial with, you know, some rappers in the shoe company and literally they were freestyling on the commercial, but then that commercial would be playing like on the radio because the freestyle was so dope. And so like, again, he's someone, uh, you take someone like Jay-Z again, like these folks that have just been able to do one thing, but then kind of do so many other things, right? The business person and, you know, the, 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 whether it's building rock nation or whether it's the, also you think about as Jay-Z recently said in one of his, you know, raps, it's like, yo, I got four billionaires that I've, you know, essentially, you know, been around and helped create and help start, you know, that's, that's unbelievable, you know? And he said the one line, he said, I didn't make more millionaires in the lottery, you know? So, and he, and he started listing them off and it's like, it's a fact. And so when you think about, these type of folks and what they've been able to do and kind of remain themselves, but also evolve and grow and things of that nature. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. So those are definitely people from, you know, just from a business perspective and to a large one's point, you know, can't go without saying Tiger Woods or, or Michael Jordan, like, you know, what they've done and, and, you know, the domination that they've had in, in inside the sport and their love for golf 
it's just it's just unbelievable. So I think that's a great place for us to close. I just want to acknowledge you all mentioned morals and values earlier, and I think great partnerships are occur when we are aligned with our values. And so I think one of the mistakes people make is looking for partners that are exactly like them. Um, I don't think you need to be exactly like each other and you all present very differently. Um, I think Earl, you started by saying you're more conservative. He's more of a dreamer and even your energy is, is different, but the passion what's underneath all that is, is really unique. And I'll just say, there's a couple of words that you said throughout our conversation today that stuck out to me was respect, authenticity, humility, bold, innovative work ethic. There are these values that are clearly aligned between the two of you that allow for your partnership to thrive. And so it's really cool because I would imagine that those values are then being spread throughout your company and, and hopefully even beyond your company into the people that that wear your, your clothing. And it's cool to have something like authenticity and respect. Like I think sometimes we think that they go against each other, but I actually think that they go together completely, completely. And, and so it's like, the I think at one point Earl said, yeah, I want to not be able to tuck my shirt in. And, and Elashwan at one point said, yeah, it'd be cool. Like, I, I don't, I want people to tuck their shirt in. Like, that's okay. Let's have this conversation. Let's have this dialogue. And I think you all see it differently, which is actually what makes everything work. And so I just wanted to acknowledge those um, values that I heard throughout our conversation today. If people want to know more about what you all are up to, Eastside Golf, social media, I know you're active there. Where can people find you and, and where can they learn more about what you all are up to? Yeah, you can uh, find us on eastsidegolf.com or on Twitter uh, at eastsidegolf. Um, uh, yeah. Is, are there anywhere else, Earl? Yeah, Instagram. Oh, um, Instagram, of course, golf. at eastsidegolf. Um, for sure. Definitely. And yeah, even on the uh on the website, there is a tab where you know we have like a partnership tab, a contact us tab. There's three different emails that they have. And we check those quite frequently and the team does. So yeah, if there's anyone that wants to reach out, have a conversation or an idea, whatever it may be. Um, definitely, you know, don't don't hesitate. If you see us out, definitely please come up and speak. Um, we appreciate everyone. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, this has been great. Um and uh, we, we look forward to the next time. Absolutely. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson. LinkedIn is the other place I like to play at Brian Levinson. I'm on Instagram, but it's just not my jam. But uh, we have a, a Instagram handle, intentional underscore performers. I should be careful about how I say that because yesterday someone walked up to me and said, oh, I'm still following your podcast on Instagram. So there it is. Uh, and you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Look, guys, this is awesome. I'm I'm excited to continue to see where you all go. And uh, one day or all you can teach me how to, how to swing a golf club. And, and one time, and one time Olajuwon, I'll sit there and watch you pipe at 350, 360 down the middle. And I'll just, I'll just be salivating and, and my jealousy and my envious side will certainly come out. Uh, but can't wait to watch your journey, Olajuwon, uh, as you continue to pursue the golf career. And then Earl as, as you and, and Olajuwon both continue to grow this brand and congrats on all the success you've already have and excited to see where it continues to go. Absolutely. Appreciate that, Brian. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I didn't want anybody to feel the way that I did, to feel helpless, to feel like there's nobody to have your back. You know, like I'm here to have your back. Eastside Golf and Earl, we're, we're all here to have your back. Um, 
And that's why we're going to continue to sign even more golfers, even more golfers that don't have the opportunity um, and that want to be fly and that want to speak their truth. 